We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Yin's No Ball podcast. I am John Ledger. With me is Brad Spielberger coming at you as we try to every Monday night if we've had a chance to look at the tape. And we've had some chance to look at the tape, at least uh, so far, of the Steelers' victory. That's right. We're getting a little used to saying victory on this podcast, which has been fun. These Victory Monday pods are getting their victory over the Green Bay Packers on Sunday afternoon to improve to 6-3 and three on the season. I thought it was going to happen, Brad. I thought they might get in the first quarter. It looked like they might get to 400 yards. It looked like they might actually outgain their opponent. But no, they did not outgain the Packers in yardage, and they did not reach 400 yards. So the streak of being the team that wins the game, but, but well, the streak of yeah having less yards than your opponent every single game so far by the season continues. The streak of having less plays than your opponent uh, every single week of the season continues, um, and the streak of 400 yard games without 400 yards as an offense continues as well. So Brad, uh, other than that, it was a pretty good Steelers Sunday. <laughs> At least in this one, it's because to a degree, obviously, you still want to move the ball when you have a lead, especially when it's a one point or, you know, four point lead. But at least it was like, you know, they had a lead, so they weren't they didn't need to. But but you also you can't really characterize garbage time for the Packers did because it's not garbage time when you could we could take the lead at any point. So anyway, trying to give them a little bit of an excuse there. The streak rolls on uh, and, and a Green Bay defense is up there, you know, without Jay Alexander, without Quay Walker. Um, one of the better probably opportunities to end that streak. I don't think that opportunity is looking too strong the next cu- next couple of weeks for the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. That's a, that's a good good point. I haven't realized I need to start looking ahead at opponents, not to see whether they can win or lose, but to see the likelihood of reaching 400 yards. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to predict right now that it does not happen in a game this season, Brad. I do not think – I haven't even looked at all the rest of the opponents. I do not think there's a game in which they reach 400 yards. The rest of the season, I think Canada will go his entire tenure in Pittsburgh without a 400 yard game, which is just complete insanity. How do you not lock it by random, like just randomly at some point? Like it's like right. not even because it, you know it, it happens by beautiful magical design. Like there has to just be a week where they just break off like four different 60 yard plays, yeah, and then just somehow. But we'll see. Maybe not. <laughs> Well, Kenny Pickett's ADOT is moving in the wrong direction for that, and we will talk about that later on the podcast. Let's start with the good. The Steelers ran all over the Green Bay Packers in this game. The run scheme is fully formed, it seems like, at this point, Brad, from a completely um, 
siloed type of scheme early in the season to where inside zone and split zone and a little bit of duo was in there and all that kind of was like their bread and butter. And there were no pullers to be seen at all early in the season. Now there are pullers. And instead of running from heavy personnel, they're running from light personnel. And they're limiting the box against opponents consistently, giving their back space, some of the craters that these guys had to run through so they could actually create in space and break tackles and spin moves and stiff arms and all this stuff that you can't do when you're in close quarters at the line of scrimmage with no space to run into now is suddenly available because the the Steelers listen to this podcast and do everything we said early in the season that they needed to do. No, you've got the numbers on some of this stuff. Let's go the numbers first, and then we'll talk about this game specifically and what we saw on tape. Yeah, so it's funny. It's a lot of things that we talked about the first, you know, a couple months, uh, a couple weeks we did this show. We probably started week three, I would say. And from week three to about week seven, uh, a lot of the same talking points, a lot of the same ideas. And if you look at the split of just week one to week seven versus weeks eight through ten, which is a six-game versus a three-game sample because obviously they had an early buy. So over twice as many games, week one, weeks one through seven – but they had a play where we identified an offensive lineman as pulling on 16 running running plays. From weeks 8 to 10, that number is 22. So hmm. you know, you're talking, you know, a, a, a one-third, you know, 33% improvement, um, you know, over a, a half-game sample. And then for running out of 11 personnel, from weeks 1 to 7, they ran out of 11 personnel 84 times. From weeks 8 through 10 – they ran out of 11 personnel 76 times. So, again, like almost the same number, but on half the amount of games, two massive, massive adjustments. And, shocker, I have to bring this up, my favorite stat in the world uh, for this podcast. From weeks one through seven, the Pittsburgh Steelers were 30th in yards before contact per rushing attempt at 0.7. Over the last three weeks, they are second in the National Football League with 2.1 yards before contact per attempt. Because they're moving bodies, there's the motion numbers are up as well, and all of those things we just talked about. What do you know? It creates massive rushing lanes for their running backs. Yeah, man. I mean, it's crazy. Like uh, how an NFL team didn't know some of this stuff before going in is 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 wild to me. But we do see it around the league at times. I did say, I think for the outset, the one thing I actually think Canada can do is like. I mean, I've seen him come with a more diverse approach in the running game. I don't know what he was doing at the beginning of the season, or I guess he thought with the addition of Washington and some of the O-line improvements, they, they could just mash people in 12 and 13 personnel, and he didn't like his wide I don't really know. But either way, yeah, this has been much improved in the run game. You know, the, the polling stuff has been game changer because a lot of these guys are so much better on the move. And when you create like one gap to kind of open up, you make everybody else's block easier. When you're running inside zone, one of the things I struggle with with inside zone and, and split zone to a degree, I guess, depending on how fast you can run it. One of the things that's tough with inside zone and duo, which are very similar, uh, we won't get into the differences too much on this. When you're watching typically as a fan, like a lot of it from a fan perspective without knowing player assignments and stuff is pretty similar. Like you're trying to run to a lot of the more similar spots, I'd say, in those. And one of the struggles is that you kind of have to block everybody for it to work. Like when you talk about vertical run schemes, you kind of have to displace people because everybody's sort of close to where the ball's getting handed off to. And the other thing is with duos, sometimes the back's read is a little bit slow. So he's not necessarily getting downhill as fast. Now, if you can block duo, you almost certainly have like you could have a big hitter for sure. If you can block duo, it's just so hard in today's NFL 
with some of the personnel out there on defensive lines to consistently move those doubles and climb to the second level to get the backers too. So obviously it's helped that the Steelers have played some pretty bad run defense. I mean, that's a contributing factor here, but that shouldn't overshadow the fact that their own changes have brought some of this stuff to light where they are suddenly able to create space in these alleyways that before they weren't. And one of the big reasons is they're running things with much greater speed. Their backs are getting the ball with some speed, moving in one direction, looking at one gap, and it's simplifying things a good bit. You can down block away from the gap and be successful, right? Some of the easier blocks, right? You're not asking everybody to reach a blocker. And if one guy doesn't, then the whole thing gets thrown off because it's like dominoes, right? Like, And so it's kind of like that effect on the zones. And I don't even think all that's bad, but I just think being able to be a little more simple for the back's sake, not so much for the lineman, but for the back's sake, being able to be a little more simple is huge for them to be able to see and to be able to quickly reach the second level where all their ability, Najee and Warren, they're both great tackle breakers. They're both elusive enough. I mean, Warren obviously more so. Warren's got the speed and explosiveness in the open field. But if they can never get to the second level, you can never see any of that. And so that's what I love about what the Steelers' approach has been is that they're trying to do all these things to get these guys through a defined gap and into some space where they can actually move and make people miss. And I think it's just been a massive improvement, obviously, for the run game statistically, but for every player involved, too. I mean, even the pulling for the offensive linemen is a better fit. So it's just, it is – they deserve a lot of credit for, for recognizing that the Steelers, we talk about all the time, they don't change what they do. They ask players to get better at what they do. It, they slam their head up against the wall over and over again. This is one area that after the first couple of weeks, they actually changed what they were doing. Now they did some of this stuff last year, so I don't know why they threw it out at the beginning of this year, but they have changed their approach – and they've been a lot more successful because of it. It's a good shout on the, you know, the whole concept of with a certain run concept, how many people need to win? Like, I think like we talk again, not to always go back to certain different offenses, but just asking, just protecting players and asking fewer and fewer guys to win a one-on-one matchup within your scheme. Um, And it's interesting because maybe it's part of why, you know, you highlighted a bunch, how trap or wham, whatever people want to call it. I guess two guys need to win their down blocks there, um, you know, usually a tight end and a guard or whatever, whatever, however you want to approach it. But it does, again, like you just talked about with the pulling. All right. If those guys do their thing, there's a very clearly, very clean, established lane where you're supposed to carry the football. And maybe that's why it was it was kind of one of the few concepts that was working for them early um, was because of that. But, yeah, I mean, again. It also the person it's good to see not only because it's working and because it wasn't there before, it also does fit the personnel so well, in particular, Broderick Jones, obviously, but Sumalo has actually done it more than anybody else. And I think he's done, you know, pretty well. James Daniels, I think it's always been a good fit for him. Like it's, it's also a response to the actual talent you have on the roster, not just trying new things for the sake of trying new things. And arguably the player that a lot of this has helped the most is Mason Cole, because when you talk about double teams and trying to vertically displace people, that couldn't be less of his game. He was allowed to thrive in this game in some capacities, not not necessarily as a pass protector, although there wasn't much to talk about as pass protectors in general in this game. We'll talk about that. Um, not only as a pass protector, but really in a lot of ways as a run defender, like his ability to get to the second level in this game and get in front of guys. I mean, he he is an athlete. That's his calling card at the position of center. And so he is not going to move people against their will that easily, but he is absolutely going to get in space, get to the second level, cut guys off, get in the way of players. And so it is a huge advantage when you can open up your center to not have to deal with a nose tackle, knocking them back every single play. And I, I'm not totally against zone runs. Like I like, I like, 
I like zone runs and the Steelers obviously aren't much of an outside zone team for teams that can run outside zone. Well, I think it's absolutely, it's very difficult to stop. You know, if it's not your bread and butter, it can look pretty ugly in a lot of games. Um, it's not, not the Steelers bread and butter. I think it's harder to run some of this inside zone stuff as your only thing. I, I think that is difficult to do. I'd say, unless you have some movers inside, I would say it's difficult to do. So, I like the fact that they have gone to this approach of, you mentioned it with Trap and with, with Wham and some of those things. You know, Detroit is another team I watch a ton of, and they they love to do a lot of these things, right? Um, they love to trap. I was just tweeting today about a fourth and five play. They ran the ball and they trapped the three technique, I think it was. And uh, it was just like, wow, like you have a lot of confidence in your run game if that can happen. I mean, the Steelers kind of in some ways are that ilk in the run game where they would run in that situation because they believe their guys on the move um, can beat your guys on the move. And the thing with trap that I like, and again, that's just a part of what they do. They actually try to run crunch in this game, which is like a form of, of wham. So basically like for people who don't know, wham is kind of like in the trap family and then the trap family. I'm not talking about, uh, what's that movie? Oh, the Von Trap family? Sound of music. Sound of music. Yeah, yeah. The Van Trap family. Now I'm off on oldie movies. Conversation. Promise I'm not that old. Um, but no, so Crunch is in the family, in the is in the trap family. Wham is in the trap family. Um, with in this game, the Steelers tried to run crunch, and basically the three technique comes up the field. It's Kenny Clark, I believe it was. And he's just completely ready. Washington goes to like with the wham block to hit him, and Clark just like catches him like straight up. And it's like, okay, everybody's watched the tape now. They know you're trying to run wham all the time. And so they've had to be more multiple than that. I mean, counter has been a Steeler staple for way before Canada, obviously. That you know. You, you, I think it's one of the best run concepts in the world. Like, I just do. I, just, I think it's so hard to stop counter, and I think it should be a staple run concept of every team in the league. I really just think it's – I mean, they score touchdown on it, uh, the Warren touchdown. Um, they've just yep. – they're not the only team. They just look – but they just – it's such an effective play um, in the NFL. I could go into lots of reasons as to why I love it, but I, the fact that they've been able to versus the run game the way that they have, it just – it's made a massive difference because it's distracted everybody from the fact that Kenny Pickett is getting worse every single week and the run game and the, and the offensive line seem to be getting better and gaining confidence. So it is really two halves of an offense going in opposite directions right now. It's been massive. No, for sure. Like I think it would be so much more, you know, emphasized if, if the run game is also still struggling, we'd be having a whole lot of conversations because they'd, they'd be losing some of these games. And yeah, the Packers run defense has been bad forever. Uh, we were joking pre-show, you know, folks make fun of or, or have issues with Matt Canada. And obviously there's the fire Canada chance across Pittsburgh, whatever. I promise you Packers fans like Joe Barry less than you guys like Matt Canada. And I know you probably don't believe that when I'm saying it, but I guarantee you it's true. Um, but look, Tennessee, maybe statistically aren't as good this year. That is a good run defense. That is a team that is predicated on stopping the run um, and, and are not easy to run on. And Pittsburgh clearly was very good in that game as well. So, no, it's true. It's it's a good point. And it's also it's it's the combination of both success rate and explosive runs, right? Like, it's not just, oh, their yards per carry is high because Warren had a couple of 20 yarders. Like, no, like both guys are staying ahead of the chains and getting you in positions to you know, instead of third and eight, it's third and two, or they're just converting on a lot of these series is um, it's, it's, it's a good point. If it hadn't been the case, there'd be a lot of conversations about Kenny Pickett and Matt Canada and all this stuff, uh, you know, on the airwaves. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And we can, 
Well, let's talk, let me talk about Warren and Harris a little bit and why. I mean, Warren getting, I think, one less carry than Harris in this game, but basically the same. Both are producing great. Uh, I think Harris is definitely, I mean, this stuff has opened up all Harris's best traits too. Like when he can see it it's and he can hit it with some speed, like he might be a runway back, but you don't want to be on the tracks when he's coming through for sure. Like he will run that way. And so I I think both of them are are very good backs. They've got two very good backs. There's no question there, but the problem is it's just like up front. That was where the problems were before just the, the scheme. And we mentioned the blocking from the peripheral players. They've also found a different way to use Allen Robinson as a blocker. Now they are kind of running these, you know, how we'd always talk about the jet motions and how they don't do anything. Nobody respects the jets. They know you're not going to give it, or if you do, they'll live with it once a game, but they're not really respecting it. They're flying out on the jet or anything like that. Or they have one guy assigned to it and they just bring him up from like a deep safety position. And so they don't really lose any of their box count case in the jet. Well, either way, the um, the the they've start, stopped using the jet, and now the motion is just right into a block. So basically, they've got Allen Robinson moving at the snap right into a block in the box somewhere. So he's actually coming with some some force and some speed, which has helped, I think, some. We'll see how this goes over time as defenders become a little more used to it but it's helped him some i mean he was also on the touchdown they had him moving i believe at the snap uh, on that counter run in on the warren touchdown um and i think it's helped some because he's just able to more quickly get on top of blockers they can see him coming they're just going to discard him or duke around him but they're not really expecting when all of a sudden he's there like they think he's going in a regular motion and all of a sudden he's a part of the blocking formula and they've got to kind of decipher that quickly and then get off that block so it's allowed him to get a little more of a uh, of an, a surprise advantage on his on the guys he's blocking and so he can kind of get in the way a little bit more i mean he's still not going to like mow anybody down but it's a pretty good response, I think, to the fact that Calvin Austin doesn't seem ready for the snaps. We hoped he would be. I guess Boykin isn't either, so they really don't have any options. Kind of have to find a way to make Allen Robinson work. Certainly not going to be as a receiver at this point. You're down fire moves, so you don't really have that many options in the passing game either, so he's got to play a lot. And this is the best way you found to be able to use him. Is um, It's sort of, honestly, Detroit does this a lot with Sam Laporta, too. I know I keep making comparisons, but I, I think both are two of the more versatile run games, probably in schemes that we've seen now that the Steelers have really opened things up. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of a, a pretty similar. And I wonder, I'm very curious to see what happens with Fryermuth uh, when he comes back, just how they use him. They can't deny how much better they've run the ball without him in there. He was a big part of the problem in the run game and the, and the blocking. And so I wonder if he gets used in more of this receiver blocking role and the move blocker role that uh, Robinson is in currently. And if we see some less of Robinson, that's what I would do. I don't know if the Steelers will consider that. But a lot of these things have basically opened up two game-changing backs, Jalen Warren, uh, Najee Harris. I think it was you, Brad, that tweeted out some Jalen Warren hype stats uh, today. That he is, he doesn't even just look like he's taking advantage of opportunities. He is consistently creating outside of the structure, creating outside of its blocker, maximizing each run with his ability to get downhill fast. And also, he runs through arm tackles. Like the Packers didn't want to tackle in this game. That was clear. And he said, All right, you don't want to tackle me. You got to, you want to hit, you got to hit me if you want to get me down because I'm not going down easy. And that really hurt the Packers early in this game when they were not quite awake yet, it seemed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. There's a massive one. I think it was early on in the game. No, it was actually in the fourth quarter uh, with seven minutes to go. I wrote this down because I also will get into Broderick Jones a little bit. And I've been getting you know questions on Twitter and all that about his grades and all that. So I watched every single snap of his. But there's a play in the fourth quarter, seven minutes to go. Kenny Clark respectfully blows Broderick Jones off the line as like a three tech, just discards him. And he gets an, an, a hand on Warren's ankle. It could have been a minus one or zero yard gain. Warren like rips his leg through it and gains 20 yards. Like it was like, it went from a negative to a 20 yard explosive. Um, and he had a couple others throughout the game as well. So yeah. And also I, I love the point on Robinson and the, even if it's a, a, a tiny bit of motion where you're like going from inline and shifting to H back or vice versa, they were already kind of doing it with Hayward, but they're like doing it all the time. Now we're like, give a guy two steps of motion before the snap to get into a block. And it's been it's been great. It's been helping guys to just like you know be able to get in front of someone and, and at least delay their rush. If if, um, if that's the best you can do, it still helps. Darnell, right. I feel like they kind of let him just still just line up in line and just just go one on one for the most part. But obviously, you know he's he's like six eight two eighty, so it, it's more understandable to ask him to do that. And then last piece, yeah, why not be in twelve? But Pat Frymuth is just a slot receiver. Like I have no issue with that. Like, and like you said, block like a receiver or have those responsibilities, but he's your best, he's your third best receiving option. And I don't care what his position is. Like, why not do that? <laughs> yeah, I think I would consider just because I don't think he can't be that much worse of a blocker than Robinson. You know, Robinson's fine out in space as a wide receiver, you know. And so maybe Fryermuth. Uh, the big question to me is routes for Fryermuth. That'll be if they do even do something like this, we'll talk about this way more if they actually do it. But Routes would be the big question with me. Like, is he a good enough route runner to be out there? Also, is he a good enough route runner to run a more diverse tree than like the three routes that they typically have had him run? You know, if this offense is truly open up a little bit when he comes back, like that's going to be pretty interesting to see if they're willing to do that with him. So plenty of questions there. Jalen Warren, back to him. 
nine forced missed tackles in this game as a rusher at 69 yards after contact. He averaged almost five yards after contact per attempt in this game. Najee Harris played well. Also, uh, he only forced one missed tackle as a rusher, but he really took advantage of space. And I thought, again, it's funny how when you give guys space, they just look a little bit twitchier and more explosive because there's just a, there's a certainty to the running style that like doesn't exist when you're like, Oh, where's the space? Like, and you just look slower. And when you can run fast like this, it's amazing how much more explosive even Najee looks, you know, he's never going to be fast, but uh, even he looked more explosive in this game. He was able to just get through space really quick. He didn't have as many tackle breaking opportunities, I would say. Um, but he was just able to get through space and get downhill very quickly in this game. He was also really effective. I know we never read raw stats to you all, so we won't start today, but they both uh, averaged. I think Najee was a well over five yards of carry and Warren was like, was he eight yards of carry or something like that? I, I, I think so. Cause he's 7.2 over the last two weeks. Um, <laughs> leads the, yeah. Leads the NFL enforcement tackles, explosive rushes, which for us is 10 plus yards. Uh, first down rushes with 11. Uh, and then a big one for me too, is his stuff rate. So we define that as, you know, zero or negative yard run. Uh, not Warren's bottom 10 in a good way. And then Najee, is also uh, trending in a very positive direction. And I think to your last point about him looking more spry, more agile, I also think he's just more confident. Like I think some of the delay stuff where he would kind of like, you, you'd be like, all right, is he waiting for a hole to open up or is he not confident in, in his point of attack? Or is he thinking about bouncing it or is he thinking about taking it the other direction? I think there was just so much trepidation of like, I just am not confident in what I'm seeing. And now that he is, I think like I think the confidence is almost making him look like a better athlete. Maybe the the black jerseys uh, too. They they were spry, which that always helps. <laughs> yeah, the, the, well, that's a good point. Actually, we should probably spend most of the podcast talking about the uniforms and why they contributed because they were sweet. Um, <laughs> who do you think leads the league in missed force tackles at the running back position as a receiver this season? As a as a receiver only, I would. Hmm. Like uh, Mostert's probably three up there, guys. but I guess oh, there's three right. correct options. They're all tied. Mostert is not one of them. He okay. is about six missed tackles behind these guys, but he's seventh in the league. So all these right, Bijan. These three are well ahead of the rest. Bijan is not in there because they don't really believe in giving him the football. You have to have fair. the football to do yeah. this one. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that's so fair. So I was going to say Gibbs, but he probably doesn't qualify either for the under Gibbs that. Is not, he is down. I mean, maybe per attempt, but Gibbs has seven on the season. These, these three guys have seventeen each. I'll do one last guess and you just rip it. Uh, ETN? Uh, no, ETN is actually tied. He's behind these three. He's this, it's technically he's fourth, but you know t- these guys are all tied right. ahead of him. Right. But ETN is even four missed tackles for us behind these other guys. Oh, that wow. is Tajay Spears, Rashad yep. White, and Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren, even in his split back role, which Spears is as well, his split back role. Which so shout out Spears. We'll talk about him another time. No, not oh, on this yeah. show, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, Warren, 17 missed force tackles as a receiver this season. I mean, we are getting to the point, Brad, where it's not hyperbolic to say that he's one of the best backs in the league, especially when you ca- talk about the price, the fact that he can play all three downs, when you took it, what he's done when he's been in even a semi-competent scheme with opportunity. I mean the rod isn't a lot missing here other than just large sample size, maybe, but the tape is so impressive and the numbers are so impressive. It's like, do we really need that to like, know like how good he is? Like I mean, he's played like one of the best backs in the league this season. I know the opportunity hasn't necessarily been there for his stats to be in that conversation his raw stats, but his per touch stats, 
and his opportunity stats, I mean, it's hard to make an argument that this isn't one of the better guys in the league. I'm not saying like up there with the bell cows, obviously the tier one guys yet, but I am saying like the group below that. Yeah. If you're talking about the group below the, the Nick Chubbs and those types of players, the guy, I feel like he needs to be in that conversation. He's awesome. Like what's he bad at? The key for me, you brought it up, I think, on Twitter, not even in our conversation. Like, he also can be a physical runner. I think a lot of these guys, I'll just put it in this bucket because I think it's the most relevant example. People say, oh, he might get, you know, Tony Pollard did. If they give him a full workload, look, Tony Pollard does not have a half the physicality that a Jalen Warren does. Like, I don't have that same concern. If you were to get a larger workload, would he become less efficient and less explosive? Like, yeah, to a degree, of course, but... I don't think it would drop off. Like he's not a scat back. He's not a, you know, so yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. I think he is one of the better, he's one of the better talents at the position in the NFL right now. Uh, it's crazy to say, cause I think we just started like the last couple of weeks, like realizing like, I mean, we knew like he was good. Like last year, we didn't know where he would necessarily rank, but now that you see like more opportunities, a scheme that actually matters, but it's not all just the scheme. Like the numbers show it and the tape shows that he is creating a lot of his own opportunities like he is making the most of them right now. I mean, you can look at so many different numbers right now. He is 27th in the NFL and missed forced tackles as a rusher. 27. I'm sorry. He has 27 missed forced tackles as a rusher this season. That is tied for seventh in the NFL. He doesn't like have any 50th in attempts. <laughs> he has 71 attempts. There's yeah, nobody insane. around him that's even within 40 attempts of him. Like the yeah. next closest player is Mostert, who has 109 rushing attempts, and he has 29 missed force tackles compared to Warren's 27 and way more opportunity. It's just ridiculous. Like what he's doing on a per touch basis is totally crazy. I don't think people understand like how good this guy is right now. Like he is. It's not even when we say we want to play more than Najee Harris, it's nothing to do with Najee Harris. It's not about Najee Harris not being good or anything like that. Uh, it is just a matter of how good Warren is. I mean, I have 29 qualifying backs right now in the league. Well, I actually have to bring the I have to bring the threshold up because he plays so little still compared to these other guys. But yeah, right now he is 11th in backs out of yards after contact uh, per attempt. But I need to filter this down because some of these guys, a couple guys here, I'll filter what? What do you think is a fair filter? Like 60 rush attempts this season? Right, something like that, yeah. Is a good threshold uh, to to go off of. So out of 60 rush attempts this season, Jalen Warren is sixth right now in yards uh, after contact per attempt this season. He's behind Mostert. He's behind James Conner. He's behind Brees Hall, Christian McCaffrey, Jameer Gibbs, and then it's Jalen Warren ahead of B. John Robinson, Derrick Henry, and some others. I mean, he is putting together an unbelievable season right now. He is, and look, we, we're saying, it, obviously, he's not going to get 25 carries anytime soon, but I don't know if you saw this. You probably did. Uh, I think Brooke Pryor tweeted it out. Um, obviously, it came from the team, but he's now listed as like a co-first-team running back with Najee Harris. So on the – just like Broderick Jones at right tackle with Chuck Sakura for – like Warren is listed as a, you know, and I know it's all formality and like optics, but it, it, it means something. Um, I, I think he's going to get 49% of the touches out of that backfield. And maybe that flips to 55, 60, you know, yeah. if, and again, like you said, it's, this isn't an anti Najee Harris thing. It's just, no. that needs to be the split, not 70, 30. And, and we're getting there. Yeah. I mean, it's not an anti Najee. Najee Harris's stats are like very solid. Like if you look at him across backs, you're like, Oh, this is a solid running back. Warren, is putting up special numbers and special tape. That's the only way to say it. Like, I know it sounds crazy to people, but that's the type of player we're talking about right now. I mean, 
10 plus run this is the last one and then i'll finally let it go but i feel like we've like said he's good but we need to like give him his like his yeah. hype on this pod like a little more out of guess how many guess who the top the players ahead of him how many players are ahead of him in carries this season of 10 plus yards i'll say like eight guys are ahead of him last Wow, that's insane. <laughs> he, he has literally 71 rushing attempts this year. That's insane. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's nuts. No, it's it's, it's it's like, yeah. Significantly less, for example. It's yeah. four guys, Brad. Four that's, guys. That's insane. He has 14 10-plus yard carries this season. Zach Moss has 15. He's going to pass Zach Moss. Let's just be real. Like, he's going to pass him. It's over. Uh, yeah. Raheem Mostert has 19. Christian McCaffrey and Bijan, Bijan, by the way, <laughs> he's 125 attempts. Uh, Bijan and Christian McCaffrey both have 20, 10 plus yards. That's a call. I mean, he's 14 right now. He's tied with Mixon and Etienne right now for fifth place. He is and Etienne probably has 150 carries. What's that? <laughs> more probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Etienne has almost 100 more carries. He has 91 more carries. Or 80, sorry, 89 more carries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I believe it. I believe it. It's it, pretty wild. Um, and, and like it's you said, crazy, too, it's like man. obviously some of it is like, you know, the, the improvement in the blocking, but also he is like the, the one I mentioned. He had a 20 yard game in this game that without him dancing off, off of Kenny Clark, one of the best nose tackles in the league, is a zero yard rush. So like he's he's creating a lot of this himself. Yeah. No, you're right. We need to give him, I always tweet it out. And, and you know, I'm obviously a huge fan of his, but. Yeah, he needs to give, get his flowers. His first half of the season has been special. It's been something else. We mentioned the nine uh, forced missed tackles in this game as a rusher. He forced three more as a receiver as well. I mean, there, again, when that's one of the main stats that I look at because uh, the yards after contact per attempt, you need the big sample size for me to, to me for that to matter or just to, to have watched the tape. Like if I'm just looking at the stat – I need like a larger sample size because what kind of contact matters? Like some are worse than others. You know what I mean? So, so it's a little bit hard to tell, but the larger the sample sizes we have now for like what, 10 games, nine games, I forget. But um, you know, the more we games we have, the more meaningful that stat becomes. But when I can look at a guy that consistently over, over half a season now, then you talk about last year as well, can create missed tackles. Like that is just a trait that to me, like doesn't really go away until your career is like in its twilight because the elusiveness, the power, the creativity, the vision, all of those things that like that stat to me is what sets running backs apart. Like, right. Like if you're forcing yep. missed tackles, either breaking them or making guys miss, you're the difference maker type. Like that's the type that you are. Like the other guys are like, they're fine. They'll get what's blocked and they're capable. And, you know, Najee can certainly break tackles and get what's blocked and he's capable. Like he's a good back. Um, But Warren just is doing things right now that, are really special with the position. And so, yeah, I hope that we'll see what it comes. I mean, he's not going to have the raw stats to get probably a lot of like uh, love after the season or things like that. He just doesn't have enough opportunities at this point in time, even if he takes over the line, share of the duties um, the rest of the season. But yeah, there's no doubt looking at his profile, even last year's numbers were awesome, you know, per touch this year, it's even better. Um, and so, yeah, I think that this is the Steelers should potentially really have something here. Um with Jalen Warren, which has been pretty cool. And it probably brings us to the point where we need to talk about the quarterback, right, Brad? Because we've been so positive. We can't let this opportunity go. No, I mean, I'm, just, I'm slightly joking. But it's been pretty bad for Kenny Pickett. This game was pretty awful. And I think nobody's really cares or is talking about it. Like, nobody's giving him props, which I appreciate. But, like, nobody really cares because, like, he just hasn't – it hasn't mattered for the – you know, in this game, it wasn't like 
he made a backbreaking mistake or anything like that. But there were just so many bad plays in this game from him and just opportunities missed. And just, yeah, he just like his a dot is like four and a half yards in this game. Like he's just not throwing the ball down the field and he doesn't throw to the middle of the field. He missed Deontay Johnson over the middle of the field in this game. Like, there's just a lot of plays where I'm just like, man, it just, there's nothing dynamic. Like most of his production is coming. They're moving the pocket or they're booting him out. He's hitting something in the flat. It's like the first read, you know, the running back flares out on this little arrow around. He hits him. And like, then he picked up yard after the catch. There were four or five screens in this game. Like it's just, everything feels like we are tailoring our offense more and more to a quarterback who just can't do jack for us in terms of creating the wild time. They're getting the ball out of his hands fast all of this stuff. They're just like terrified of him beating them. It feels like, and I, I mean, he doesn't turn the ball over. Like you can give him credit for that. Like, I guess if you won, been a pretty consistent strength of his, but this was pretty ugly outside of that one fact, I would say. Yeah. He came pretty close too on the ball to the right, on the right sideline where, you know, the DB didn't quite get his feet in, but it was pretty close. The, the, the concerning thing for me was, in addition to everything you just said, and, and we've obviously highlighted a lot, you know, his, inaccuracy or just not enough velocity on the, you know, the Calvin Austin bomb over the middle, for example, you mentioned the screen passes. He was inaccurate on like four screen passes in this game to the point where yeah. like there was two to Najee and two to Jalen. I think maybe two Najee, one Jalen and one like receiver or tight end, whoever it was. And I'll be honest, two of them probably would have gotten, you know, tackled pretty much right away, but you never know. I mean, Jalen Warren could, could shake a guy and go get 15 yards where he was just like, wildly inaccurate with a behind the line of scrimmage pass. And probably the most jarring thing is our podcast before the game. I'm sitting there, you know, being mean to Jordan Love, who like had a bunch of really nice throws in this game. Yeah. Like he was way a lot of down. Game. Yeah. Like downfield tight window. Like, look, and he made some mistakes too. Obviously, you know, had the picks and, and, and like, you know, it was not perfect by sure. any means, but, but had, I think we had, he had five big time throws for us in that game. By far the most he's had in a game. Like he's he's a guy who has like one or zero the you know the entire season at this point. Right. And like you know and, and yeah the Steelers secondary is not particularly good. But but neither is the pack the Packers with Jalen Jair, Jair Alexander yeah. is as bad as the Steelers secondary right now. And and it did not matter. Yeah, that that is really troubling and a good point by you. Like this was not a good secondary by any stretch of the imagination. Guys are consistently open. I mean, you could point to so many players. You mentioned the near interception. That play should have been completed in the flat to to Washington for a first down. It's his first read on the play. He's open. Kenny Clark is the closest guy trying to get out there in coverage, and I respect the heck out of Kenny Clark, but I'll take my chances throwing the ball and hoping he's not going to be able to run underneath that one since Washington's standing like three yards away from you. And he doesn't make that decision. He tries to fit a ball into a non-existent window down the field to Deontay Johnson. So that was a rare poor decision by him, I felt like. There was a throw. Uh, we mentioned uh, Johnson down the seam. I think it was a post pattern now. I'm trying to remember. And he missed him high. Big play opportunity over the middle of the field. Missed him high. Late in the game, he underthrows Johnson badly. Johnson did drop the ball. He came back and kind of dropped the yeah. ball down the field. But it was a very poor throw. That wasn't a back shoulder like he underthrew that one badly on, on that play. Um, I'm trying to think. There was another one too that was in my head. Um, that'll come back to me. I'm sure there was there was another one I wanted to make sure I mentioned as well. But this was just like a, I think this was his worst game of the year, other than the Browns game. The Browns game was definitely his worst. But this was, I think, his worst game of the year, other than that. I mean, he didn't take advantage of opportunities off play action they had in this game as well. Uh, though the the you know other one I was going to mention was the the. 
the pass that should have been a fumble. That was a lateral, basically. And they officials reviewed it and said they still thought it was a forward pass. I, I looked at every replay angle. I have no idea how you say that's still a forward pass. Even if you think it's inconclusive, well, still, it's a, it never should have been close. Like, Warren's out ahead of him. He throws the ball way behind Warren and behind himself trying to make that play. Like, that's a simple – you've got to hit a throw – so we had that middle stretch of games where it felt like he was accuracy wasn't as big of a deal as it was early in the season. But the last couple of weeks, I mean, some of the misses against Tennessee and against Green Bay have been woof, like really bad stuff. Like it's it's hard to believe this is going anywhere. I mean, the Steelers benefited from what three defensive penalties in the secondary for the Packers, I yep. believe. Yep. But a big part of it. One on a ball that frankly was so ridiculous it hit the ref. He was not even standing on the chalk. No, he was he, the dotted line. The, the, on behind the chalk, that's where the ref was standing. He's like not even suspecting. You could see it in the all 22 and the ball hits him in the chest. He's like, how did this throw end up over here? Like he's just stunned by it. It's kind of funny. I'm going to tweet it out at some point. It's kind of funny because he just nails the ref and it was a flag, but the ball isn't even close to being in the field of play to give Deontay Johnson a shot at it. Like it's just like, there's really nothing positive about this for this to me, like other than the fact that, yeah, I mean, again, he still put the ball in arm's way once and he had no business doing it. His ADOT was 4.7 yards the last two games. Now his ADOT has been 5.1 and 4.7 yards. That's his average depth of target. That's just so much lower. I mean, his closest game before this to that was 6.6 in week four against Houston. He's just not throwing the ball down the field at all right now. And I know the offense isn't scheming up either, but he's also not throwing the ball in the middle of the field. So, like, it's pretty easy to prepare for this offense at this point. Like, you just make – eventually they're going to start stacking the box regardless of what personnel package the Steelers are in. And so I'm just not sure Kenny can be the guy to make those throws to get defenses out of certain looks so they can keep maximizing this rushing attack. Yeah, no, 100%. And th- this was a game where you needed to see it. Uh, like we talked about, the schedule coming up is far more difficult. I guess Arizona in, I think, three or four weeks, maybe they can get 400 yards in that game. Yeah, but – uh you no, know, it was extremely concerning, too, because the big thing, I think, with Kenny, like you talked about, is a lot of it had been schemed up. He was hitting on some downfield concepts if it was a boot action or you know just, just moving the pocket and just rolling right or left and kind of just cutting the field in half and, and having high-low concepts. And the thing for me, too, is, look, we're not going to ever say Matt Canada is the greatest, you know, pass game coordinator we've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination, but – like you said, we have them actually like middle of the pack this week in terms of um, on dropbacks. We characterize as having two or more wide receivers open. They're they're fifty percent of the snaps, kind of right in the middle for this week. So again, not just um, not talking the full season, but just this week in particular against a soft zone Joe Barry defense that everyone carves up. Um, it, it was I, I agree. It may have been his worst game. And then yeah, the average of the target. I mean. Look, there are going to be some games where teams are sitting back in these zones, playing a bunch of quarter-quarter half or quarters or cover three, whatever, and you just attack the flats and just kind of take what the defense gives you. Sure, but like five and four yards is like Tommy DeVito numbers. Like you're not even – they don't even trust you. Hey, I had to take a shot at my guy Tommy DeVito. Uh, like they don't they don't trust you to the ball. And the last piece, the over-the-middle stuff is genuinely concerning because like that is the number one marker for me of like this team does not trust this quarterback to throw the ball is it's just – to the boundary, to the field, not even to the field side, just like outs to the boundary or just comebackers, you know, like all you know, back shoulder stuff. Because like, hey, that way there's the least opportunity to pick it off and take it the other way, which kind of is what they're telling you by, you know, his passing charts the last couple of games. 
Yeah, I mean, this was actually by statistic his longest time to throw of any game so far this season. There's a big split there. Like when he was pressured, he took forever to throw in this game. He ran around a couple times. He, I guess the one other positive, he did get out of some jams. He kind of got himself into some jams. He did get out of some jams at times. He only dropped back 26 times in this game. And he was kept clean in most of them. When he was kept clean, his average time to throw was 2.46 seconds. So much, much, much faster. And so he... He's typically, again, when they scheme it up, they're trying to get the ball out of his hands as soon as possible. They just don't, don't trust him to move through progressions. They don't trust him to be able to make decisions on more uh, complicated patterned concepts down the field where you have to read out the safeties and all that stuff. They're basically not even looking at safeties in their progression. They're pretty much just like this side, this concept, throw it quick. Like it's it's bad. It's moving the wrong direction. It's 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 eventually going to catch up with them. They, you can't win games in the NFL with your quarterback and kitty gloves like this. But also I get it. Because I'm not sure what happens when you take him off, but you got to find out. Like, and he's going to probably throw more picks when you do. He's going to probably make more mistakes when you do. And, you know, you've just got to take that chance. Like, they're so obsessed with trying to get to nine and eight or 10 and seven this season. And I get it. Like, I'm not saying it wouldn't feel like a step in the right direction at all. I understand that there's a value to winning in this league. I'm not trying to downplay that, but you just aren't going anywhere with this, like, unless you find out what it is. So, you got to find out what it is this season. you got to put more pressure on him to be better than what he's been. And if you can do that, I mean, I don't think the results are necessarily going to be pretty, but you'll feel a lot more certain going into next year. You won't be given delusions that this can be your guy going forward. Like, it'll it'll expose him. Right now, nobody's talking about him, really. But he's been bad. Yeah. Like, he's not been good. So you people will be talking about him and he'll be bad. And that's what you need kind of to be able to be like, yeah, okay. We, we need to, we can't do this another year because the rest of the roster seems like it's kind of moving in the right direction. Like you have all these rookies playing well, like playing better than I thought they would. The offensive line, it's not great, but like it's getting closer to being good. Like it is like, there's no doubt you have two really good receivers that are pissed every game at Kenny Pickett and at Matt Canada because they're open all time and they can't get the ball. Like that is going to eventually lead to a point where the rest of the roster looks around and says, we're pretty good. This guy sucks. And the, that's a bad place to be in if you're the Steelers. You do not want that to happen because those guys will say it if it happens and you will start to get fractures real quick. And Matt Canada is not the guy to keep that group together. So as much as I'll be happy with the wins, I could see this going in a bad direction when they get up against some of these better teams the last couple of weeks, the next couple of weeks. It's coming. Yeah, no, it's interesting. This is something that like this team would never do. Your old team you covered, like, this almost is a roster to me. Let's say they do, and I agree, you have to see what you have. And maybe he rises to the occasion and plays well. And and because, like in a weird way, when his feet are to the fire in the fourth quarter and he keeps kind of showing up and making plays, if you feel that way or force him to feel that way for an entire game and say, hey, look, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, the other side of, the, of this game, and I know he's already beaten Lamar, but like they're, they're, they might put up 30. Like you need to score – and move the ball down the field and create explosive chunk gains for us to win this game. And if he does it, great. If he doesn't, you say, all right, maybe you need to change this. Anyway, tying it all together. Like, this is a roster to me where this is a 2018 Buccaneers roster. Where, like, you come this offseason, you don't have, you don't, probably don't have a draft option because you're picking 18th, whatever. You drop, I mean, obviously not Tom Brady, but, like, you drop, like, a very competent starter with this young weaponry and this Her defense, gun? like, yeah, like, you know, Kirk Cousins is kind of the name I was thinking. Yeah, like, that's a very, very, like, good football team that, like, can win a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the ceiling is with that. So, like, I still get scared by it just because ceilings, like, 
with guys like that, it's like, okay. But then the odds of getting a guy with a high enough ceiling are small, small anyway, when you're drafting at that point. And what's the point of going back with Pickens, with Pickett for another year? So I, I know we'll talk about that more as we get close to the off season, but I I'm very intrigued by the idea of adding a veteran quarterback to this group. And I honestly just don't know if the Steelers will go back to the draft. Well, right away. Um, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't look like at the end of the season, it's going to work out with Pickett. I'm not convinced that they go back that direction um, and go with another rookie quarterback. Even if they draft later in the teens, you know, there's going to be somebody there for sure. Like in this draft, it seems like there's kind of a consensus top couple. And then after that, there could be some wiggle room, I guess, on where the rest of those guys go. It seems this far out, but yeah, it, it, it does really feel like, like if they had a really good quarterback, obviously the scheme is not very good offensively, but again, I'm, I'm just assuming Canada's contracts up, like I'm assuming they're not going to re-sign him, even if they do fine, you know, the rest of the year. If you do you consider this fine? I don't know. They're still bottom of the league in most area. It's so hard yeah, to figure right. out what's fine now because they like scored on their first three drives in this game, and then they were terrible the rest of the game, pretty much. And it was like, is this good? Like I don't like I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. Like they're just flipping what they normally do, right? Where they score at the end of games, they did at the beginning, <laughs> and then they didn't do anything against the game went on. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not fourth quarter. Kenny did. Kenny have a completion in the fourth quarter? He may not have. Yeah, they're right. They, they've now mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks, the scripteds have been great and they've gotten some early leads and then it's, you know, enabled the defense to kind of tee off, which we won't get to in this episode. But also like Mike, my guy, like let's rotate some defensive linemen a little bit. Let's get my guy Nick Herbig more than three snaps, please. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely. I don't know what we'll talk defense tomorrow, but that was. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> that was wild. Yeah. OK, let's see. He had a pass for zero yards on their first drive of the fourth quarter. Then a couple incompletions, an eight-yard pass to Najee Harris. I'm sure almost all that coming after the catch on their second drive. And then, yeah, that was it. No, pass deep right. No, that was okay. Yeah, penalty. Yeah, that was it. He had uh, one, one, two completions, one for zero yards, one for eight yards in the fourth quarter. And he had three or four incompletions, I think. So yeah, it's um was not fourth quarter Kenny. It was first quarter run game and no quarter Kenny in this game. Uh he wasn't even great in the fourth quarter against Tennessee, except for that one throw, obviously. So I am just real skeptical about the fourth quarter stuff and real skeptical about Kenny Pickett in general. Um next two games, uh should find out a lot, right? Is it Cleveland and, and then Cincinnati? Uh I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Cleveland, then Cincinnati. Then you finish the year with Cincinnati, Seattle, Ravens. We should learn. We should learn some things about Kenny. You got a Belichick game in there still, you know. See what he does to poor old Kenny. But uh, yeah, I think the Steelers will know um, enough what they need to know. Not what, what kind of decision will they make. I don't know. I can't say I was encouraged by Kenny picking in this game. Uh, do you want to talk Broderick Jones before we wrap up here? I do. It'd be a last good point. So. Look, we love Broderick. This is a Broderick Jones podcast. Well, yeah, I'll say this. I think I even like him more, at least coming out, than you did. So I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm, I'm being facetious. But, like, I'm a huge Broderick guy. I always have and always will be. I also don't come on this podcast and, like, defend PFF. Look, the big Najee run where he had the spin move to the left, and it was probably the highlight play of the entire game for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Broderick was the puller and had an awesome block as a puller on that play. And so you're probably sitting there and saying, how in the world did he have like a mediocre grade? And maybe you disagree, but um, 
there is a I'll just give it a couple time stamps. So the first quarter, four minutes to go, he literally goes the wrong direction on a run. Everyone starts yeah, going to the right. I'm gonna I'm gonna that? drink that one out. Yeah, it's hilarious. Hilarious. The play before, he recovers, yeah. Well, yeah, the play yeah, before yeah. he has like the sick kind of like, nasty little cross chop snatch and trap on Kenny Clark. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, how many rookies take Kenny Clark down with like a quick hand swipe? Like the physical tools this guy has are bonkers, but so much of the time we see in the NFL, that doesn't end up mattering because technique rules and offensive line play. It's possible we may be reaching a new era with that with some of the guys that have actually like turned out to be good at offensive line or maybe like like Tyler Smith in Dallas. Like he was like unbelievable physically and athletically, but technically he was kind of all over the place when he came out. And I actually liked him, but I thought I was kind of higher on him than consensus and lower on Broderick than consensus. And but then yeah, then you're right. The very next play after that, he's going the wrong way. <laughs> he runs into his own guy. It's like, oh my gosh, we're still learning. We're still learning. Yeah, no, yeah. The physical tool, I think even on that play, he does recover. And I wouldn't say makes a good block, but like gets back in position. But anyway, like look, that's gonna get a negative grade. He literally ran the wrong direction. And then um I mentioned before on the, the Warren run that was a 20-yard gain, not the pull, but a straight up block. He tries to down block on Kenny Clark, and Kenny literally with his left hand just pushes him out of the way. Uh, so, like, you know, and then, and then you know, the pass pro we obviously know is a work in progress. There's a, there's a uh, second quarter, two and a half minutes to go. He oversets, and Kingsley Barry literally just runs inside. Like, it wasn't even like – he didn't even make a move, like, like a cut yeah. inside. He just was like, okay, there's way too much space between you and the guard. I'm just going to run into that gap. Um, so, look, he's awesome. Like you said, the physical tools are great. There are some of these players – never trying to compare anyone to Trent Williams, but like if you are that good of an athlete, you probably can at times get away with technique. So solely focusing on that time after time at a certain point might be like, Hey, look, he gets away with what he does. It works for him. Um, But yeah, like the the grading system at the end of the day, it does. And you can argue this. We kind of nitpicked this for Kenny Pickett a couple episodes ago. It does reward consistency a lot where if he had three fewer negatives that were just zeros, his grade would probably be 10 points higher. But I have zero concern about who he is as a player and him becoming a difference maker for this offense, like, at all. Like, And I think Sam and Steve on the main show were, like, talking about how awesome he is. So, like, ignore the number. He's awesome. We love him. Go, go Broderick. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. People often see the PFF grades as, like, oh, PFF hates the guy. And sometimes it's true. Like, but it's like even with Cody Mauk in Tampa Bay, I'm always talking about this on the Bucks podcast that I do. Like he's played very, very well this season. I've been extremely impressed with him. All the tools are there to believe in him long term. He looks like an absolute solution at right guard for the Bucks long term. But similar to Broderick, the lows are pretty low and like the highs are are great. Like they show you what he can be. And eventually I think that will stabilize and become consistent. It does with most players, especially a guy like Malk is coming from the FCS. Like I, there's a lot of reason to believe that he can find more consistency. The fact that he doesn't look overmatched consistently in the NFL is crazy for a guy coming from there. Broderick, you know, very raw coming out. Like the fact that he can do as well as he does, despite needing the technical improvements that he does. Um, it's very impressive. You know, I thought he was pretty good in this game. Like, I don't know. Y'all graded him like as decent, right? In this game. I, I didn't really yeah. look at Pay attention yeah. to this. I mean, yeah, he had some of the blocks that he had were key moments. I would say that's probably the biggest yes. thing. That impressions in people's minds. Warren's first big run, he pulls. 
Uh, Warren's touchdown. He is a great down block. And he doesn't really get all of Devondre Campbell, but he gets enough of him that doesn't hold him, I thought, which is great. He gets enough of him that Campbell can't get over in time to tackle Warren on the touchdown run. And he just has to beat the DBs into the end zone. Um, so that's a good, nice play. He seems to have a good sense for that, for when like enough is enough. And just being in the way as a run blocker is such a huge part of it. Like, not you can't finish a guy every single play. And so you got to consistently be on your spots and be in the right place. So a lot of like maybe imperfect plays, but I mean, he put. Uh, and, and he barring on the ground another player. I actually wasn't him on the ground. He like brought him his knees at kind of a, a twist pickup, I think. He might have put him on the ground to play. I'm not through the tape completely yet. But I told you you got Kenny Clark on his on the ground. He also fell over on the play where he took Kenny Clark down. It's hilarious. I'm just like, this guy's just out here doing stuff. Like, he doesn't <laughs> know what's going on. Um, definitely one of the most physically and athletically gifted tackles. And I don't say like in a, like just these raw, crazy traits. He's actually like functionally gifted. Like he's not just like some – crazy athlete that's big playing on the O-line. Like he's actually functionally gifted. He just needs to figure out how to use it all like technically a little bit cleaner, especially in pass pro. I think um, if he can figure that out, there's just so much here. I mean, he, the ceiling is really through the roof and I probably should have been higher. I'm, I'm still skeptical as to how consistent he'll become as a pass protector. I always loved him as a run blocker and pass protection is obviously way more important. So I, I would say that I am more optimistic than I was about him pre-draft for sure. Um, and I more likely that I feel like I'm going to be, end up being wrong. I am wrong on Keanu Benton. I just was wrong on Keanu Benton. That's just all there's to it. Like that, that would be my, I, I have very few L's honestly to take this early in the draft process, which I'm excites me about where my evaluation has gone to with draft players, but Holy crap. Like Keanu Benton is just, I mean, he's an absolute killer and we'll have to talk about his grade. Cause I know a bunch of people tweeted to me, like ask Brad about his grade tomorrow on the show. Uh, we'll we'll get into Keanu Benton stuff once I get a chance to look at all the tape. But oh my gosh, like I've seen a lot of the clips people were tweeting out, but I saw a lot live too. I actually watched him and focused on a bunch of snaps. That guy is just a killer. Like he's going to be freaking awesome uh, as time goes on here. So uh, yeah, I, I am. I definitely think this class might be better than those two. Were the two I had question marks about? And Jones looks certainly better. I mean, there, there's a lot of ups and downs, and and Benton looks like a for real like just a home run hit. So yeah, yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah, the last thing of Broderick, I, he tried to, I think, it looked like he was trying to pull off a slingshot technique, which if people like Google that, it's probably one of my favorite things. I think Trey Williams always gets associated with it. I love with Jason Peters, who may have had like the heaviest hands in NFL history. I always thought had the best slingshots where you basically like get to the outside shoulder. I'm probably describing this wrong. You can probably do a much better job, but and effectively throw a defender upfield, like because you know where the play is going. So you kind of you get leverage, you get past him, then you kind of just like launch him, um, you know, yeah. behind you upfield. He tried to do it to I think it was Devontae Wyatt, and like I would say, I wouldn't say it was unsuccessful or successful, but anyway, like I know Broderick Jones is going to have some like highlight level blocks, not just pulls, um, going forward because he's like you said, there is we do critique the technique, but I think he knows what he's trying to accomplish. Sometimes he's kind of just YOLO in it and just knows he's a better athlete. But uh, but I think you're seeing it for sure. No doubt. Since he came back from injury, by the way, James Daniels is absolutely killing it out here. Like he looks like a man that has been yeah. pissed off that he didn't get to play for a while. Like obviously playing with another energy that I haven't seen from him really. Like early in the season, I was like, man, maybe he's not the player I thought he could be here. But lately has just been lights out for him. I know uh, PFF, it, his grades have been good for for a good stretch here. Um, I think definitely since he came back from injury, four games since he came back from injury, lights out in pass protection, good run block rates from y'all. The tape backs that up completely to me. Like I, I feel like he has been 
freaking awesome. Um, in fact, just when you look at pressures since he came back from injury, four games, he's allowed three pressures and zero sacks during that time. So for a guy like him who is not an elite tier guard, that's elite right. tier guard type of production. For a guy like him, like that's just that's I mean, that's about as good as it gets to over a four game stretch to have three pressures, zero sacks. And obviously I know that ball's coming out quick on a decent amount of that, but he's played at a really high level run and pass game. And both the guards right now, I'd say, are definitely part of the solution. Neither of those guys are elite, but hey, guards, like you don't want to be paying them, but you want to be those guys to be part of the solution and just not be part of the problem. And I think both those guys are. So Cole's still pretty unstable. Dan Moore, there were some pretty rough reps in Bass Pro when, when Kenny did hold the ball in this game. He almost always gets like knocked backward or something. Like it doesn't ever look good. It's just a matter of whether Kenny gets the ball out fast enough before he can get like fully beat, basically. I think it was wooden like a defensive tackle size guy just like long-armed him into Kenny forced Kenny to step up I think another guy got the sack but uh there were some ugly reps for Dan Moore and Cole are going to be the weak links I think all season long but it's cool to have a rookie starting right tackle and him not to be considered a weak link I think this Steelers got to be pretty excited about that so yeah lots to be optimistic about but I'm just afraid that none of it will matter unless Kenny even Matt Cannon has gotten a little bit better this season yeah like absolutely Get him out of the paint at all turns, no question. But he has gotten better this season. Like, there's no doubt. Like, he has taken baby steps in the right direction. You just can't say that about Kenny Pickett. And that just is – that's put a damper on this whole thing right now because you're just wondering, is it a house of cards and when does it come crumbling down? And as excited as we can get about the steps the rest of the roster has taken, it just feels like that part is hanging over this team quite a bit. It also just highlights it more and more, right? Like there's fewer and fewer excuses as to why, you know, the production's not there. Like, again, are we going to see the offensive line's elite? Are we going to say Matt Canada's a top half of the NFL offensive coordinator? No, but like if they go from 25th, you know, to 20th, 18th range, like, all right, if the quarterback is a top half of the NFL quarterback working with those conditions, then you'd have some games where, where they, they put up numbers or put up yards. Uh, and obviously that that has not happened to this point. It's so funny that a game which they went four of 13 on third down and had 126 passing yards. Everybody's come out of me. Controlled it start to finish, never in doubt. Like, that's the way it feels. Fred, like, yeah, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the bar being that far underground, like, not even on the floor, underground. Like, it's just so funny. Every time I watch a Steeler game, I have to, like, recalibrate. Like, I'm genuinely at this point just like, this is awesome. And I look up and I'm like, this is actually just totally normal for other teams. <laughs> right, right, right. Incredible. Like, you don't even yeah. think about the fact how bad Kenny's playing for a while because you're just like, there's points on the board. Like, I don't even know what to do. Like, yeah, so, early points on the board yeah, the first quarter. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're figuring some things out. We'll see what direction it goes. Uh, tomorrow, we'll try to be back to talk some defense with you guys, get a look at that tape, talk about what went well defensively. What can we actually make? KZ, Neil, each with an interception, Pat P with the game. The, the game deciding deflection, obviously the Neil interception was a gift. I get it from Pat Pete. Um, but yeah. yeah, like uh, is there more behind these box score numbers? Where do their PFF grades land them? Are those grades fair to what the tape says? We'll talk about all of that tomorrow on the podcast when we get into the defensive side of the ball. As always, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Yins No Ball Podcast. <laughs>